5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning or good afternoon if you're listening in the afternoon. Um, I've been counting down for one specific reason. Today, today's episode is going to be actually a very special episode. Uh, and I would say probably one of the most exciting ones, uh, at least for me, hopefully for you as well. Because we're going to talk about space. We're going to go into space together with uh, the right person for the job. My friend, Daniel, uh, somebody that uh, I actually had the chance, the opportunity to meet last week when I was at a conference in Slovenia, a brilliant conference, one of my favorite business events called Podim. Um, and I was moderating one of the stages. Uh, Anil was one of the keynote speakers that I had to introduce and his presentation was so engaging, so eye-opening that I had no chance but uh, to invite him to be with us and to share some of this fantastic uh, kind of um, horizon-expanding insights, I would say. And I know many of the listeners here are entrepreneurs, or founders, business leaders interested in those kind of topics like innovation. No matter if you are in space economy, I do believe this is going to be an important episode for you because um, it can really spark a lot of ideas about how you can innovate better. And hopefully some of you can actually uh, get into the space of space, if we can say that. Daniel. <laughs> but Daniel, good morning. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your cup of coffee. Good already. morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks a lot for the introduction. Well, was uh, maybe, you know, now you are raising the bar for the expectations. But uh, no thanks a lot for the introduction and thanks a lot for inviting me. So good morning, good afternoon or good evening, uh, wherever you are in the world. It's a great pleasure having you. And I'm actually, I want to just go into it uh, right from the start. Um, last week, you led us through the different stages of uh, space development, so to say, when it comes to space economy, uh, from space. Space 1.0 to Space 5.0. So could you briefly give us an idea about uh, those type of stages? Okay, okay. Thanks a lot for the question. Well, um, it is not something formalized, but uh, we in the space sector uh, try to define some, some era, some ages of, of space evolution. You know, relatively, we are very uh, young in, in space because if you consider the time from, uh, from when the first sketching from Leonardo of the flying object and the first airplane, no, the, the, the Wright brothers, uh, when they made it, no, uh, and the first um, uh, flight through the ocean, you know, if you consider that time frame and from the time of this uh, uh, Wright brothers flight and the man on the moon, you see that the time is really shrinking and uh, the, the technology acceleration is uh, taking the man you know, uh, on the moon and maybe in the next uh, very few years, even beyond that. So we consider this, you know, this evolution step in, um, as you as you mentioned, in uh, four or five different uh, ages on space. Uh, for instance, the space 1.0, 1.0 was basically the astronomical observation of, of, uh, of sky and, uh, you know, looking at the stars and, and uh, scientific and uh, uh, astronomy and physics and so on. Then we entered in a space 2.0, 2.0, that was the race to space. So we all, you know, have heard about and then heard about uh, United States, the former Soviet Union and so on, the race to space and the man on the moon and, and so on. Then we entered in a mm, completely new era that was the space 3.0, that was uh, the international collaboration for scientific purposes. So the International Space Station, the ISS, and uh, that is the largest and the most complicated outpost that the man has on, in space and is a gigantic, so imagine a huge laboratory used for scientific research. But then something interesting came up because using this uh, uh, big international, truly international um, lab on, on space, uh, you know, imagine something that is uh, flying at uh, 27,000 kilometers per hour speed at 400 kilometers uh, orbit on uh, from Earth. Um, so having this lab, incredible lab available was something like, hey, I can test maybe new technologies. I can use these conditions, particular conditions uh, um, to develop 
new innovations. To do what? To bring those innovations to Earth. So taking technologies from space to Earth. And I'm pretty sure that um, uh, all the audience here, all the friends listening uh, to, to your podcast, uh, I'm pretty sure that they have used at least one space technology today in their daily life. Maybe the mattress foam uh, when they uh, woke up. Maybe um, they use some uh, energy efficiency tools uh, or energy efficiency systems, taking the stairs uh, to go somewhere. Maybe they have cooked in some uh, you know, um, material that is uh, uh, thermal resistance. Maybe they have made some other you know, um, baby formula if someone has kids is a derivation is coming from space technology as well as uh, the HACCP uh, food method and so on. So uh, space is almost uh, everywhere. And this was the space 3.0. But now we are fully fledged and fully running in the space 4.0. 4.0, why? Because we had the, the since some years now, uh, private. So we have the commercial, we have the business. So those new buzzwords, those new keywords from new entrepreneurs, what they call, uh, uh, let's say, the new space. So the space economy. So people, billionaires, we all know the story of Elon Musk, but uh, we have many, many more that are entering and looking at space as uh, a new commercial and business opportunities. Space tourism, uh, space outpost, new space stations, uh, commercial services, deploying cargo services to the ISS, and so on. But the most interesting part for me, and this is also what we discussed uh, um, last week, and, um, and and by the way, thanks for sharing because it was uh, uh, an incredible event and, and you moderated very well. But um, the most interesting part is what uh, is expecting us now, is the Space 5.0 is the integration of space and earth-based technologies, is the access to space from technologies and know-how and competencies that are not coming from space, uh, but space is in need of that. I just give you some very, very brief example. In space, there is this need of digital twinning concept because the space is changing, is now um, becoming fast and accelerated even more than you know, the period from the Wright brothers and the man on the moon, um, because the competition now is there, because we have an increase of 500% uh, in number of countries that in 50 years are now accesses to space or accesses to space data or accesses to space technology. This means that the competition is not among, you know, the five, six countries that started launching probes in space in the 60s, but is uh, almost uh, around 100 plus countries in the world. So we need now to have technologies, we need now to create innovations uh, uh, that are cross-matching and cross uh, somehow cross-contaminated. And last but not least, let me just tell you this, Space 5.0 is also a new approach, is a way to see space technology for the benefit of Earth and for the benefit of the human being and not only for the great endeavor that is the exploration of the universe, uh, but also, you know, uh, to see how to save our planet, how to maybe find resources to save, find resources somewhere to save again the planet or to be more conscious and more, you know, sustainable in a way also from the technology point of view. So, yeah, this was more or less the, 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 um, the timeline for, for space. But what I would love you guys to convince is that, um, um, as you know, 45 years ago, it was the first uh, franchise of Star Wars. You now you see the guy here in, in, in the back. I'm a big fan of them. Um, and they were saying that, uh, no, Master Yoda was saying that uh, the force is everywhere. Well, I want you um, to, to, to understand, I would love to demonstrate space technology or space data is everywhere. And even if we don't know, but we are using a lot of this space data and space technology in all of our daily life. So why not use it also to save our planet, to save ourselves, uh, and of course, you know, to be more conscious and more sustainable. Thank you for this uh, Torah introduction. On <laughs> it was a bit longer. <laughs> and um, I just, I just sense so much 
passion in your voice. And I'm wondering yeah. if you can give us a bit of a context very shortly, and then we will continue with all these interesting topics. Where did this passion come from? And just just for the context, what what are the kind of cool projects you're part of today? Um, well, uh, I'm coming from, let's say that the journey was quite interesting, was quite different uh, or peculiar um, because I'm coming from non-space. So I spent my first 15 years of, of career working on technology transfer, innovation, and I was a, the, the, the middleman or the middle organization exactly between research entities, uh, universities and entrepreneurs and enterprises. Um, I have worked a lot for uh, more than 10 years on uh, uh, European Commission funded, co-funded projects, um, being exactly as I was saying you now in the middle. So uh, the good point was that uh, hey, I had plenty of different you know, non-space sectors um, experience. So I worked in uh, FMCG, I work in IT, in ICT sector, in uh, white good industry, and, and so on. Uh, the bad part of the story was that uh, I was not able to answer the question that, uh, what is your job? No? Uh, even when someone was asking that, hey, what you are doing? Uh, it's quite difficult. And the other bad part of the story was that uh, I was uh, uh, like a frog. I was not uh, uh, a land animal, and I was not a fish. So I was exactly in the middle. Um, but the good part of the story is that uh, at a certain point, and I moved from private to public to um, ministerial, so working also on innovation policies, at a certain point, that was a call. And uh, the Italian Space Agency was, uh, was searching for someone to start from scratch the technology transfer department. And I was uh, lucky enough, let's say, to, uh, to apply. And, uh, and to be selected. And um, I was also lucky or unlucky enough to be challenged by this uh, uh, completely new task that was, okay, start from very scratch this brand new department. And, and then what I, what I did, I, um, I passed them. I just, uh, you know, uh, put in that box uh, all the expertise I had in known space. And this was maybe the key point. So connecting different worlds, connecting uh, space technology and space data, but knowing the known space applications uh, uh, that were in need of, uh, of that. And, uh, and then I you know, continued working on uh, supporting the creation of new companies having this concept, uh, and then startups, and then incubators, and then uh, risk finance, and, and so on. Um, I, I must admit that you know, at that time, that was the sexiest job I ever had. And it's still the sexiest job I, I always, you know, uh, uh, tell around. Um, now I am more in the, in the private sector and uh, I'm focused on supporting um, research organization in uh, being, uh, let's say, specialized. So in having some uh, space connection as well as working with uh, public entities around Europe and around the world on innovation, designing innovation policies on space and space economy. And very soon, very, very soon, uh, so I cannot still uh, disclose, but very, very soon I will start also um, jumping in the uh, risk finance uh, part of, uh, of space economy. Um, I must admit, and this is a confession I'm doing to you and to your audience, that I was one of the very few kids that was not dreaming of becoming an astronaut, but my dream was becoming uh, a pilot. So, um, yeah, maybe on a lower uh, uh, level than, than an astronaut, but um, yeah, okay, at least, at least, you know, uh, the thing for, for the young guys, for the young people is always, um, uh, because I'm a practical example, I was not dreaming of becoming an astronaut, but being, becoming a pilot, but uh, what I always tell uh, young people is that um, uh, dream at the moon, if it is going wrong, anyway, you have reached the star. So, you know, it's, uh, but I was not, uh, yes, I was not uh, meaning to, to, to become an astronaut, but, but a pilot. But I got to say, it's really, uh, as you said, I'm a head of innovation in a space agency. What do oh, you do? Well. Right, uh, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a, a good uh, you know icebreaker, so to say. Yes, <laughs> to yes, start yes, with. yes. 
And um, you know, I was I was preparing for this episode, and and I read some statistics, some data based on the presentations that you guys gave. And okay, it, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to see that currently the space industry is estimated to be over three hundred and forty billion dollars, and expected to grow to more than a trillion dollars in the next uh, few decades. Yeah. Uh, so quite quite interesting. I, I'm not sure many people know about all these things. So I, I want to just explore and and maybe if we can present some of the opportunities to people here, starting with maybe the one that we hear on the news a lot about, which is the space tourism and the uh, the work of your good friends, uh, Bezos, uh, Elon and, and Branson. Elon. Uh, <laughs> yes, my neighbor Richard, Richard, yeah. Elon, Richard, and, uh, Elon, and Jeff. And Jeff. Yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, it's my it's my okay. neighborhood. And and by the way, I was wondering if we can maybe end up this conversation a bit uh, uh, earlier than expected because I have a barbecue with them here in my backyard. So I need to go. Yeah, and Jeff, Jeff is very impatient. I know. Yes, yes, and he's you know he's very timely. He wants his uh, uh, his tech ready at the right time. And uh, yeah, so I'm. Anyway, uh, apart from that, um, but anyway, if Jeff, Elon, and 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 Richard, and so on, if the if they are here, if you want to join, and even if your audience, some of your donors want to join in my backyard for the barbecue, the invitation is always open because uh, I'm pretty sure you are all uh, very cool guys. Um, well, uh, you asked about the opportunities. Yes, you are right. Uh, the figures are maybe over uh, uh, overestimated because you know by 2040 there is one estimation of uh, space economy generating one trillion dollars of of revenues. Um, maybe they are estimated. Um, we need to keep somehow uh, you know feet on Earth because uh, although we are talking about space, but uh, you know consider that the newcomers, this uh, space 4.0, as we said. So the billionaires, all those friends in my backyard, um, they are billionaires. No? So they are people who are very, very wealthy. They have money. They can invest a lot. And yes, they look at business. They look at commercial. But you know, uh, they can afford it. So if you look at maybe uh, the preliminary figures of uh, uh, Virgin Galactic, of uh, Blue Origin, and so on, on space tourism, OK. Uh, you see that maybe reaching the break-even, you know, talking about startups because they were a startup at a certain point of their life. So talking about the break-even was not a simple, a simple story, because uh, yes, uh, you can pay in a range of uh, three hundred, four hundred fifty thousand dollars for a suborbital flight. Yeah, but you need to, you know, uh, you uh, Virgin says that they have a very long waiting list. Correct. But the problem is that they don't have uh, um, the, the, the spaceship to carry these people uh, there. And building a spaceship is not something that you, you know, uh, do in, uh, in a couple of days. And as well as you need uh, to create the infrastructure, you need some spaceports, you need some, uh, you know, to create also other ways of uh, revenue streams you need to create. So it's not an easy, an easy business. Uh, it's even tough than that, even tougher, even, um, maybe working with the space agencies like SpaceX is doing, like Boeing. You know, if you see the Starliner project, you know, they have, they, they started at the same level, SpaceX and Starliner. And, uh, but you know, they're still lagging behind. They are doing, they already have done their second test to ISS, uh, while SpaceX is already, you know, on a regular basis. But uh, you will never see the right figures of how much money SpaceX has invested so far and what is their break even expected. So in my opinion, if a new entrepreneur or uh, if uh, a non-space sector entrepreneur wants to enter space, uh, it, it, um, they can enter in a smooth way, like uh, using some space technologies or even better, using some space data or some space infrastructure already there, or space-related services to develop new innovations and new and new product. Um, allow me maybe to give you a couple of couple of examples, like uh, because I, I can prepare for that. Uh, like for instance, uh, I don't know if you can see this. Okay, I was not supposed to show you the, the name of uh, of the company, but this is uh, 
this is a, a lens and those lens are coming from uh, uh, the, the, the helmet of the astronauts. I don't know if you can see. And those are used, uh, are here, are just used as uh, magnifiers for the um, mobile phone camera. And they are used and they're sold at a very reasonable low cost price. And they're used for, uh, you know, detecting maybe dermatitis or other, other things using your, uh, your, your web. But this is coming from a space uh, technology. And who developed this was a company that was completely out of the space domain. Or otherwise, there is this patient company. I don't know if you can see this. They developed this uh, with uh, um, a product, a material that has some space connection. And this is, you know, foldable. You can do this glasses like Just, just like for this. those of you who are listening and you don't see the visual, these oh, uh, sorry. sunglasses sorry. Sorry that. uh, are foldable. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, no, don't worry about that. Uh, these sunglasses sorry. are foldable, which are also coming from the sector that the new is, is talking about. But yeah, go ahead. Right. Or or companies working now, now cross-match making, companies working with uh, products like small this is a small i cannot disclose that much but this is a small coffee machine embedded so um coming from from space you can maybe you know uh, press some what uh, hot water here and just with the drop properties the water is coming out and it's coffee mm? and this is completely okay i can understand this is completely different from uh, my coffee <laughs> that uh, I have done to be prepared with this thing. It's different, but there is an innovation. Or the last but not least, this is a company that started from um, Space Food. This is a Silicon Valley-based uh, company. And uh, they developed this product that is now a nutrition bar, a novel food, a functional food. So just to give you this, uh, you know, a, a very... Um, brief example and short examples to enter the new space economy opportunities you don't need to uh, uh, to have a rocket scientist or you don't need to have that kind of uh, you know technologies in-house space technology and space data are very much available um, also because uh, um, okay I don't want to show my because otherwise I'm always showing my things show your mobile Stoyan the mobile you have okay Okay, that mobile has the same computation power to handle in your hand. You have the computation power uh, to handle 100,000 Apollo missions. So try to imagine what you can do with that power in your hand. At the same time, trying to imagine what you can do uh, with a very accurate positioning system. Now, uh, I don't want to go that much into details uh, because otherwise it will be, you know, a lecture on, on space technology. And this is just a talk among friends. Uh, but, um, you know, all the positioning system, all the, the, uh, the activities, all the features are done not by the satellite, but by your mobile phone. The satellite somehow, the positioning system satellites are somehow, uh, allow me to say that, uh, uh, stupid. So they are sending a message. And we all studied in uh, geometry and in mathematics that uh, to have one unique position in space, you need how many coordinates? Three, right? In a 3D space, you need the three coordinates for a unique position. Try to imagine if you have uh, this three data from satellite with uh, a fourth variable, fourth one, that is time. So you need to elaborate all this data and you have the right position time by time. But who is doing this elaboration? Is your mobile phone. It's not the satellite. The satellite is just giving you the position. You have a receiver in the mobile phone and the mobile is detecting you know, where you are. So try to imagine if you have all this power in your mobile phone, your mobile phone, sorry. If you have all this power, you have all the data with you and you can do plenty of things. And you don't need to understand how the satellite, the positioning satellite is working. You don't need to understand that. You just need to understand that you have this information with you. And then you can do whatever you want with, with that. So you are right, 1 trillion by 2040. But that 1 trillion is not all because uh, the new uh, Jeff, Elon, and Richard will come up. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, there is a plenty of space also for the new Anil, Stoyan, and, and so on. 
that sounds like a quote I put on my wall. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for that. But but I think I think it's so such a good insight because the the normal human being like myself, the initial thing that you think is you know rockets launching missions to Mars and those kind of things that we see on the news. But actually, um, it's a lot more practical from entrepreneurship standpoint of what we can potentially do to create value for this growing industry, but also the other way around. What can we get inspired from space that can be applied into our day-to-day -day kind of boat? And I, I just want to explore with you some other maybe opportunities, hard opportunities out there at the moment, which entrepreneurs can get excited about finding solutions of. And I'm just going to read a couple, but I'm sure you can go deeper in many of them. Um, and this is a topic, by the way, I just really want to dig into and hear your perspective. But one of them is the the satellites. And, and okay, let's start from there. Then we'll go into the other opportunities. But I'm super curious and interested with all the satellites that are right now in the orbit. Um, and many of them, uh, I think I, I listened to a podcast, they called it it's kind of like the wild, wild west uh, yeah. with the satellites regulation and 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 the whole. Um, I'm not sure people know how many how many satellites are right now just circling around and they're actually not functioning, but kind of uh, like a in a trash. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're you're talking about the debris. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, debris is problem because um, uh, we know that uh, there are tens of thousands of debris. But those are only the debris that we can detect. So this means, uh, you know, um, um, a, a radium of around uh, of some centimeter, tens of centimeter. So try to imagine an object that is something like, yeah, like like this thing. Hmm? Uh, but try to imagine um, all the non-detectable debris. So in that case, there is an estimation of of having at least 100,000 of pieces or even more. And uh, so imagine the same uh, um, data, the same information I gave you on the, about the ISS. So imagine an even, you know, small piece at a speed of hitting you at a speed of 27,000 kilometers per hour and the damages that they can, they can make. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen the movie Gravity and uh, everything started from, from that. It was just uh, a very small debris. And uh, just to give you an, an example is something that is uh, 10 times uh, uh, faster and uh, 100 times smaller than a bullet. So, you know, the damage is uh, even, you know, even more than, than, than that. Uh, so yeah, debris are a problem. We are now, um, we might face in the near future, uh, the Kessler paradox, which is uh, um, not the Kessler route of the Millennium Falcon, as we were mentioning Star Wars earlier. But the Kessler paradox is that uh, we are not able to send probes or to send satellites in space because the um, probability of collision with something that is already there is too high. So this is sort of paradox. No? We cannot send something because uh, it's already crowded there. And uh, yeah, and it's quite crowded, already crowded out there because uh, we have all these probes, satellites, and of course, this debris. Now you were asking on about um, how many satellites, if there is a sort of census, a survey on what we have there. Um, the 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 straight answer is no. Why? Because um, yes, there is a United Space, uh, United Nations Outer Space uh, uh, Office based in Vienna, in Vienna, but um, uh, it's not compulsory. So if you are sending something to space, it's not compulsory that you you know sign the register, say what you are sending to space and where are you sending, in which orbit, and and so on. Of course, it's your interest knowing if in that orbit there is already something else. 
uh, if there is a risk of collision and you know and all these things but you don't have this kind of uh, uh, obligations the second aspect is that uh, you have to consider that space is wild wild west as you mentioned very correctly because this was also a quote from a nasa and an american a u.s air force uh, uh, general um being a wild wild west means that you have civil and defense use satellites or probes or whatever and also for this for obvious reason you don't have a register no? where you have all the you know the satellites and so on um so it's very difficult knowing in a very precise way what it's out there then you have the problem of the outdated uh, debris the outdated satellites that is another big problem because uh, uh, it's definitely uh, less expensive so the cheapest way of uh, de uh, let's say um, decommissioning let's say a satellite at the end of the life it's not to bring him back down to earth and uh, uh, waiting that is the you know disintegrating and uh, uh, in the atmosphere and so on the cheapest way the less expensive way is uh, keeping that uh, junk in that orbit and leave it uh, you know there so we already experienced in the last uh, couple of years uh, uh, emergencies because of uh, maybe you know end of life satellites from some countries uh, that did not you know uh, gave a lot of information of what was that satellite for uh, up there and they started deorbiting they started you know coming down and they discovered this very in a very incidental way because someone saw that uh, their own satellite that was uh, uh, live and and living and working uh, was hit by some something and they slightly change the orbit so they look around and see hey what hit me oh it was this but where is this coming from hey but this and then you know all the problem and then you have another big problem is that uh, once you have this lot of uh, deorbiting objects yeah they are if they are not disintegrating in the atmosphere they are definitely because of gravity they are definitely falling on on earth and you don't know where because you don't have maybe the right data so yeah it's a bit uh, um, crazy out there uh, i should say it's a bit mm, messy and if you consider that um, it will become even worse uh, because for instance uh, we all talk about uh, starlink no? so the, the the satellite constellation of, um, of spacex linked to spacex but uh, if we consider starlink other constellations like OneWeb, um, new constellations uh, for telecommunication also from other countries who don't who, they, who want their own constellation so try to consider that uh, we are expecting more than 60,000 new probes, new satellites, new objects in space in the next uh, three to four years. And that's a number that is not sustainable. So um, it's, very, it's very difficult. At the beginning of the talk of the conversation, I mentioned uh, uh, looking at space to being more sustainable on Earth. Here, the problem is that uh, before colonizing uh, uh, space or the moon, we are now, you know, filling out of the atmosphere with junk. And we are now, you know, polluting space because we don't have uh, room or to pollute uh, Earth. So it's, it's a bit philosophical, but uh, yeah, it's, it's an issue that we have to, to, to consider in the future. Yeah, it uh, really reminds me of all these movies about wild, wild west. Kara, you <laughs> go to this new land and and there is no law, there's no regulations, and everybody's yes. kind of trying to figure it out. And and there's these gold rushes and and. Um, but I'm wondering, are companies is that one of the areas that uh, that is a space for? looking for solutions are companies and governments to trying to find solutions and is that an opportunity for startups to look into as well how do we clean and and create it more sustainable when it comes to these satellites um well um the answer a would be uh, the politically correct one so it's like uh, a 
everybody we should shake hands we should do things together uh, public and private because the space is uh, uh, is not uh, mine yours or uh, third countries is all of us no uh, that are responsible for space um and we should do this uh, okay let's you know put our effort together and and work on that and okay let's plan something and and let's see you know uh, where this will uh, will be possible and uh, okay but the correct answer is answer b the unpolitically correct that is uh, um if there is no a specific obligation nobody will do that uh, a specific obligation is that uh, uh, you design a law okay but at that uh, time you need to have um, a body that is uh, uh, that has the mandate to you know to organize and to have all this uh, um, compulsory uh, but we are not in that situation i described about the united nations uh, outer uh, space affairs um, UNOSA, it's the name of the, the, the office, um, but that should be compulsory. It is not the case. Then we should have maybe a real and urgent need, like, uh, hey, the Kessler paradox. I cannot send something in space, so my business will be affected because I risk to have damages and I risk to, uh, to have collision with uh, something already there. So there is a, a, you know, a very uh, urgent need to, to clean up also the, the, the space. Uh, third, uh, so far, there is no a real and a solid business opportunity on that. I'm sorry to say that, but there is no business opportunity. Why? Because deorbiting uh, has a cost. So if you consider the lifetime of a satellite, uh, I'm, I'm telling you this very, you know, in a very um, brick and mortar way. So it's like, uh, you have 10 years, so the first uh, uh, three to four months is just uh, reaching the satellite, starting the, 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 the orbit, starting the operations, and, and then you, you start work. So your real work is not 10 years, but it's uh, nine years and a half, let's say. Okay, and then you take money for those nine years and a half. If you have to consider also the deorbiting part, this means that you have to consider other uh, take away other three, four months before you have to end operations, you have to start the deorbiting operations, then you have to uh, consider uh, some propellant, some fuel to start again, you know, the rockets and then deorbit, change the orbit, and then the orbit is not like, you know, I'm just make a U-turn when I'm driving the car and then I'm going back. No, you have to, you know, change the orbit in a gradual way and, and so on. And this is costing. And this means that from the engineering point of view, you have to consider also this part. And this means that you are taking away again other three, four months of activity, of revenues. This means that 10 years mission, you are taking away one year because of operations. And then you have your business plan based on nine years of uh, revenues. So from the business point of view, it's not that much attractive. So... Um, uh, yeah, and, and the other aspect is that uh, if you are increasing the engineering cost, if you're increasing the engineering uh, uh, activities, then you're, in, you're increasing the weight, you are increasing the volume, and sending something to space uh, is still costly, and it's going by volume and by weight. And, you know, so if you make all these countings, from the business point of view, it's not that. It's more, it will become more a philanthropic <laughs> project deorbiting a satellite rather than you know a business viable so i'm sorry to give you the answer b which is not politically correct but uh, uh, so far this is the, the the fact i hope we are not waiting for uh, uh, an asteroid or satellite or something crashing on 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 earth and so we are not you know remembering armageddon moving with bruce willis and so on uh, to need to decide that we need to deorbit whatever is coming at the end of life in uh, in orbit but uh, yeah unfortunately life and humanity goes like this so we are in most of the cases we are very good in the finding solution when the problem occurs rather than anticipating the problem in having a solution in hand but uh, this is how life goes
That's that's correct. And hopefully with the development of all this, the right the regulations, legislation will somehow bind the the people's or the organization sending satellites to have some sort of responsibility and there will be some innovative solutions that need to be developed internally either by governments yeah. or by the businesses and organizations sending these satellites to to actually do their own cleaning so to say but i want to want to talk about another topic which uh it actually comes from a quote by one of your bar- barbecue buddies uh jeff jeff bezos um he mentioned in an interview we need to take all heavy industry into space and preserve earth that's one of his aspirations for him it's like um and i i want you to comment on that what, what do you think about that and when it comes to um you know how, how far is this in the future are we leaning in this direction and generally what is your take on this what is your opinion um well when he says heavy industries he says um industry that are heavily linked also to um, resources so you know the natural resources or the resources we uh, we use or energy and and so on um you know the since some years because of the new stations and in orbit or because of the new idea of having a permanent outpost on the moon and so on so we are talking about uh, uh, the acronym is uh, isru that is in situ resource utilization so is uh, okay let's see how we can use resources and we don't have to bring those resources from earth to build you know the new um outpost or, or colonies or whatever in on the moon and then maybe later on uh on, on mars uh why not only because uh, we are conscious and responsible but also because uh, as i told you before volume and weight and sending something is very very expensive um okay but um taking resources from another planet or from uh, an asteroid so the, the 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 space mining concept uh definitely can help not only in using those resources for that specific purpose but also maybe on using those resources to reduce the consumption of the earth we are uh, we are currently uh, undergoing so having maybe uh, rare earth materials coming from an asteroid that is plenty of that or um, to produce and manufacture maybe new products that are in like uh, the uh, semiconductors microelectronic components and and so on or having maybe new ways of uh, energy generation energy power that is not consuming maybe land or consuming other areas because uh, yes uh, photovoltaic and solar power is good is uh, is incredible you know uh, maybe efficient now but uh, you need space you need surface to have all this uh, and the paradox is that in some cases you, you if you make photovoltaic panel large you know photovoltaic farms as they call it uh, you build them in large um, areas so in larger fields and then you cover the 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 earth but apart from that uh, those resources we need to find out somewhere and the population the world population is growing is growing at a pace that was not expected so it's it's good of course but it's just it's consuming resources there was some statistic also from the who and from the fao that um by 2040 or 2050 in some countries there will be a deficit there will be a problem of uh, a hunger problem because they will they will not be able to produce enough resources to feed the population so when jeff is mentioning the uh, the resources so um, he's uh, pointing out at uh, natural resources as a way of generating energy from somewhere else as a way of uh, finding new material new minerals uh, new uh, as i said uh, uh, isru uh, that we can maybe bring uh, on earth now um you know if you tell this or if you uh, at uh, an interview or um uh, during a, a barbecue uh, with a beer in your hands yeah okay it's a nice idea interesting yes but when you come again to the figures to the numbers it's not an easy task I have been uh, uh, the pleasure to to be a mentor of a competition 
from uh, um, from a big aerospace company and the competition was um, so i was mentoring the teams and the competition was uh, okay uh, find a way to create a deep space farm to uh, get solar energy and beam down this energy on earth to um, uh, to power the hydrogen production no? you know uh, yes many ideas interesting and so on but when we were just digging or deep diving on the, the technicalities on what kind of technologies we were in need of there were a lot of question mark there were a lot of uh, uh, blank uh, uh, paper a lot of uh, you know black boxes that yes but we don't know how to beam the technology the, the power in efficient way yes but we need the solar you know, uh, solar panels in, in deep space, but then, you know, how it will cost going there. I remember that one of the team was just uh, making some accounting, some numbers, and they said, okay, we can build a startup based on this idea, but just to start, just to have a small, very small proof of concept, we need $50 million. So, you know, it's, it's not that, <laughs> that easy, but uh, undoubtedly, uh, this is the challenge so getting resources from somewhere uh, to have a more sustainable way of living in, in on, on earth because earth yes is the only starship we have but earth is also not with infinite resources so definitely the regeneration of resources is not at the same velocity at the same pace of uh, uh, the consumption we are we are doing just consider the rare earth no the the the, the 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 example i gave you before it will come a time where the rare earth will not be there and either we you know drill down very down and we start consuming a lot of the resources or otherwise we will be without without that um the same aspect uh, maybe is uh, the same shortage in some years will come out from the lithium so we don't have, and we, the estimations are that we will not have in 20, 30 years, uh, if the electric vehicles are going at this speed, we might not have enough lithium to, make, to produce the manufactured batteries. So someone, you know, is saying that, hey, why don't we get lithium or other sort of like this material uh, from space, from asteroid? So there are some planetary geologists working on ways of finding lithium uh, from asteroids uh, but in my personal opinion um, we could also think of uh, other ways of producing batteries uh, with maybe other materials that are not you know consuming but yeah so resources yes but i guess that jeff can say that because he's a billionaire and uh, you know but if he wants to really and seriously invest in this is not an easy task. And I would imagine he's probably also speaking from a longer term horizon. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm just, the, 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 the moment I listened to this interview I was imagining, you know, this multi-planetary um, human race, like there's like a base on the moon with all this kind of heavy industry in there. And then there is maybe Mars or like, I don't know, um, that's what was, was I was imagining, like maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 years ahead or whatever. Well, uh, uh, we are almost the same age now. I don't know if the audience is uh, younger or older than, than us, but um, I don't know if you remember that uh, um, it was a UK, a Brit production, uh, Space 1999. You remember that? Maybe, maybe not. And... Uh, so this is just, you know, so for the, the Googlers here, they can Google uh, uh, space 1999. And the, the, the first idea was, um, was that, and this was, by the way, a, a, a TV uh, series that started in the 70s. And the idea was that in 20 years from that, so by 1999, um, it was supposed to be a colony um, on the moon. And... Uh, and that colony was uh, self-sustainable, was, uh, you know, everything was, uh, was there. Um, 
but uh, there was no idea of uh, you know technical solution or what kind of uh, challenges and, and other things you uh, you could have faced so yes we have all this idea cool ideas of colonizing moon colonizing mars having you know human colonies and so on um, but at a certain point when uh, we ask jeff richard elon why you want to set to have a settlement on on mars uh, because of you know human being is by definition uh, uh, and uh, uh, exploration is by definition the dna you know uh, we are explorers um, yeah because they cannot say that because we want to mine we want to find resources and send back to, to earth because technology is still not there uh, we want to go to mars okay so far with the technology and the know-how we have it's taking it will take not less than six months to go there and uh, it's a one-way ticket so far because uh, to have a return ticket we need to know how to get the fuel because uh, the six months is just with the fuel with the propellant to go there to mars and we need to still understand how to get propellant there to come back. So try to imagine that if we still have those kind of problems, those kind of challenges, beautiful challenges, of course, but how we can consider on uh, uh, digging maybe holes there, uh, finding resources, finding materials, and then uh, being able to send those materials back after six months journey to Earth. So it's, you know, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, it's raising the bar very high. Um, the challenges are incredible. But, you know, keeping feet on Earth, it's good. But uh, maybe Earth, we, we will not have the same timing or time frame to explore Mars to save our planet. Because sooner or later, uh, just see what, what happened with the uh, ozone uh, uh, hole. Just see what's happening with the uh, deforestation. Just see what's happening it's the climate change and and so on so uh, nature is going faster than technology development so yeah uh, exploration is good it's cool it's sexy uh, having colony on mars is good but my personal question this is something i'm just self asking myself is that yes well, we are going to mars to do what holidays or to get some resources or but if you get some resources how we can uh, bring them back to to uh, to earth and 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 so on so maybe um i understand uh, more mm, even I, I could not afford but i can understand more the space tourist who says that okay i'm paying that amount of money to have that experience to uh, i'm paying the ride i'm going to the iss and back i'm going to the moon and back i'm going to suborbital flights and and so on and and maybe i can settle down um, for some days on a moon station because of fun run some experiments do something and and so on but going to mars is quite you know uh, it's, it's still challenging it's still challenging going to moon to the moon um, i give you one number um, we are all saying we are going back to the moon now, I'm not a complotist, so I'm not saying that uh, we have not been to the moon. No, 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 no. So we have been there. We still have flags and we still have, you know, uh, evidence that we have been to the moon. But um, when we say we are going back to the moon, it's not completely true. Because uh, you know how much time we have, the human being has been on the moon, on the moon surface, less than one day, 17 hours. So... Uh, how you can say that now we are going to the moon to stay when you have spent only 17 hours on the moon surface so is a complete new challenge is not just a shift of paradigm saying that i've been already there just for a visit and now i'm settling down no 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 you have not settling down settling down is a completely new challenge 17 hours doesn't give you you know, a, a, a complete picture of how he's living there, how he's building something there, how he's staying there. So this is a challenge. Imagine that uh, in, um, there is this big program launched and started by NASA that is called Artemis. That is, okay, by 2024, now the Artemis deadline are all postponed because of many reasons. Um, but Artemis program is very ambitious. 
and we need to have ambition in space. So, okay. But they are saying, let's go to the moon. Let's build something to stay on the moon. And then let's use the moon as a pit stop to go to Mars. Okay. But even going to the moon is the most challenging thing uh, than even going to Mars. Because to the moon, we have been there, but we have not stayed there for so much time. So, you know, a lot of challenges. Um, but my personal opinion, because this is the bias I have from the work I, I've done and what I'm doing so far, is all those challenges, all those bars um, are good, are good for space, are very good for, for all the movements, because uh, all the technologies, all the innovation you can, you know, all the milestones you reach and all the things you can develop to reach those challenges definitely can be useful to solve, hopefully, some problem on Earth. When you were speaking about this, I it really kind of makes me come back to this metaphor of the wild, wild west. But with the with the detail that this is probably thousands or millions of times more complex, right? Uh, when yeah. back in the time, hey, let's go and let's domesticate the west, right? It was a wild west. Uh, we have watched all these movies, right? And it probably yeah. took I don't know 30, 40, 50, 70 years to really to really get it to a place that is similar to, to the East, right? Um, yeah. And it's probably kind of the same, right? Like now we're talking about the moon, Mars, and it's more like these first steps, but, but you know, the West is still on land, right? It's still, it's still something we're kind of more aware of why, uh, you know, if you go to moon or to, to Mars, it's like uh, millions of times, maybe more complex. Who am I to yeah. estimate? But but I can just uh, try to imagine it, comprehend it this way. Yeah, uh, yes. But but again, that's how that's how human evolution happens, right? By yes, and, having these bold and moves and sure, sure. And and taking your your metaphor of wild wild west, you know how um, why it was called the far west, because it was going to the west, starting from east. So the Mayflower pilgrims, you know, they landed on the east side, east coast of the United States. And they started slowly, slowly going to the west, but uh, and going to the very far west. But that was uh, also a way to say that uh, they were going um, where nowhere else has gone before. So they were like mostly uh, Captain James T. Kirk, but uh, they was going where nowhere has gone before, and it was uh, something unexplored something where you had to sustain on your own know-how and your own technologies at that time. So you were exploring. Exploring to do what? To settle down and maybe to get some resources. So I think that your, the, the metaphor you, you, uh, uh, you mentioned about the wild, wild west, and if you also consider the approach of the far west, is, uh, is perfectly. We should copyright this, huh? Shoot, uh, the problem is I took it from somewhere <laughs> listening to interviews. So okay. definitely not mine. But if it's not we copyrighted, here, of course. <laughs> we should elaborate. We should elaborate. Love we can it. maybe take out the concept of maybe outlaws in space uh, or a sheriff uh, or that kind of, of, of the ranch. Space sheriff. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be a space sheriff? Love yeah. it. Anil, I'm, I just I'm want sorry to I don't have a... my Texas hat here with me. Otherwise, I... Uh, just wanted to just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people that were actually on podium being here with us. Evgeny, who actually won the pitch competition, he enjoyed uh, listening, and of course Navid, who's uh, right now in Zagreb. Great to see you, Navid. Uh, hey, keep on I tuning all... in, and he looks forward to catching up. Seems like <laughs> so. There you go. Um, to wrap it up, you know we've been so much in space, and you know, so let's go back to Earth. And let's kind of, if you can summarize, just what are the, the few very hot and practical areas that startups, entrepreneurs, innovative businesses can look into connected to space economy? Let's just summarize it and, and wrap up this episode. Uh, okay. Two things. First is um, we all say that data is the new oil. Um I always say that uh, information is the new oil. So the information you can get out from data is the new oil. And uh, uh, space data now is very accessible, is very somehow um, uh, interesting, is accessible in most of the cases in an open and free 
uh, uh, way. So try to imagine what you can do with all this plenty of data, all this amount of data, space and non-space, what you can do with the computation power that you have in your hands and uh, and what kind of innovations you can uh, you can do even not being a rocket scientist and not knowing maybe what that specific space data is used for or how it is generated so data for me is definitely information data and and so on is uh, uh, again is the new maybe information is the new oil um, but i would also say that information is a new black huh? uh, second thing is space is in need of competencies that were uh, out of space sorry for the joke uh, before uh, space is in need of uh, competencies in uh, uh, digital twinning space in need of competencies in for instance design ergonomics or in hmi a human machine interface um, now there is a problem with some of you have read about the the office of the inspector general of nasa who wrote a report on uh, uh, the problem and the delay of the space suit uh, uh, for new astronauts uh, there is no uh, you know expertise or competence on uh, how to um, maybe wear the, the the astronauts but at the same time how to feed the new astronauts the new uh, the, the the private astronauts and so on so all those competencies that were not focused by space agencies or, or so on but they are now you know running at a very fast speed and they need to be covered because the competition as i said is very very fierce and it's not like in the 60s where only six countries in the world were able to send a probe to space now space has been democratized so we have 100 plus countries and competition is uh, is uh, is there so a lot of competencies that are not part of the space domain that I'm pretty sure space would love to, to have. Just to give an example, try to have a look or just uh, uh, see, I, I hope it is still there, but just try to have a look at the job openings and the uh, open position at SpaceX. You will find, of course, a bunch of uh, engineers uh, and you know rocket scientists and, and so on. But then you will find also a lot of people that are not part of the space domain, physicians, psychologists, uh, marketing, uh, commerce, and and so on. Maybe another uh, another time we also speak about the marketing and communication aspect of space, uh, the IP, uh, the intellectual property. There are no competencies on space law. Uh, there is no a framework for insurance on space. But now it's coming up, and there is no specific people from space who have been you know practicing insurance. But vice versa is there. A lot of people very acknowledge in insurance that can be, you know, somehow borrowed to, to space. So, yeah, first is data and information. The second one is cross competencies from non-space to space. And I'm just imagining the thousands of listeners that are leaving my podcast page and going to Elon, uh, to SpaceX. Yes. So, but hey, sending their CV, sending their CV, uploading. <laughs> hey, Anil told me that you are searching for... <laughs> Look, man, okay. he's your friend, he's my friend. So, hey, Elon, we're okay. with you. We're with send you on that me, one, brother. <laughs> send me the CVs. Uh, I'll grab a, uh, the CV with you, a beer pass it to, to yes. him. Yes. I'll pass it to him. Yes. Very nice of you. So, final question, Neil. Thank you so much for this insightful discussion. Um, where could people get in touch with you and how can you support startups, uh, maybe large organizations on their journey? So could you maybe give us a bit of a perspective? How uh, can you support them? Where can they find you? Okay, they can definitely find me on, on, on social. Um, LinkedIn maybe is the, is the, is the right place. Um, I'm not, maybe if you want, I can share my, my email address here, but I guess that LinkedIn is the, uh, is the perfect uh, way of, uh, of finding me. Um, yes, I am wearing uh, uh, two hats now. One is uh, uh, a specific a consultancy company, a space economy advisory company. So we are working with uh, public organizations, uh, private companies, uh, mentoring, coaching, and supporting also the scale-up of some startups and spin-offs. And the other part is uh, the fundraising and the finance. So yes, I guess that uh, LinkedIn maybe is the is the right way to connect me. But please do write me something in invitation because normally 
I, I'm sorry saying that, but normally, you know, if I don't know someone, uh, I am always, uh, so if you write that, hey, I saw you on, on, uh, on Stoyan's uh, stage. So, okay, I recall that this was the, the word. And then I can tell you Stoyan that, hey, the, 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 the podcast and the event work well because I got that much number of invitations uh, in LinkedIn mentioning you. So I can tell you if this was effective or not. But yes, please do reach so me. People, and, uh, people, go reach out, uh, you know, yes. ask for a <laughs> request and put a little note uh, where you found uh, Anil yes. from. Uh, and by the way, those of you listening who are running a podcast or you're organizing a conference, I've witnessed Anil already now on the podcast, but also last week as a keynote speaker. He's an exceptional keynote speaker, Thank creating so a lot much. of value. So, so make sure to reach out and invite him as a speaker, as a consultant. You will not be sorry. And you'll definitely have an interesting conversation around space okay, and beyond. Thank you so much, Toyan. I owe you one huh, because you, uh, you raised the bar so high. And if I get an invitation, definitely I need to mention that this was thank, uh, thank to you. <laughs> You owe me one cup of coffee from one the little thing that you're okay. doing it with. I'll so invite that's, you that's, for that's the for beer sure. in my background, in my backyard with, uh, <laughs> with Jeff and, and so on. But remember two things, if I may conclude with this. One is that space is closer to us than we think. And the second thing that uh, every company or every activity can be a space company or a space activity. So don't give up. I just wanted to leave a few seconds for it to really sink. So thank you so much, everybody, for, for being with us today, making it to the end of the podcast. I had a pleasure to be here with Anil Kumar, Dave. And uh, this is episode 109, meaning there's 108 more episodes. So make sure to subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcast, or any other major podcast platform. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to also share it with a friend that will get value out of it and let us know what you think about it, post a comment, connect on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah, see you again on the next episode of Productivity Mastery. Ciao. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>